Welcome to the Balancing Act podcast with Singer Lewak. In this episode, we will be discussing 2024 tax season insights. We have two members from our tax department, Mike Mondelli and Ryan Nance, who will be joining us to explore the significant changes in taxes and provide tips for maximizing deductions. This episode is a must listen for anyone looking to stay updated on the latest tax related information. Stay tuned as we guide you through the complex world of taxes in 2024. Hello, today we've got Mike Mondelli and Ryan Nance from Singer Lewax Tax Advisory Group. Our team is a specialized group that helps our firm and our clients with some transaction advisory. We do transaction cost analysis for M&A work. We also do a lot of tax research and assisting with IRS matters, whether that's IRS audits, appeals, private letter ruling requests, or anything involving the IRS. And today we're going to talk about a few different items for the upcoming tax return filing season and ways that businesses, individuals, and freelancers can start planning for how they can plan to ensure a smooth tax filing season. That sounds good, Mike. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, tax season is coming up and everybody's excited about that. Um, Should be an interesting tax season. You know, hopefully it won't be as, um, let's see, what's a good word? Cumbersome as previous tax seasons. Um, Obviously, you know, this is the time of the year where clients are starting to send in their documentation and lots of questions are coming up. And, you know, the first thing that always comes up, uh, no matter when it is during the tax year, is taxpayers are always wanting to know how they can maximize deductions and credits to lower their taxes and all that good stuff. So, Mike, do you have any any suggestions in that realm? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I think the main ways that you can take care of these things, it really is going to come down to how good is your record keeping? for your income, your deductions, anything that might be used in the calculations for various credits. So the record keeping combined with discussing these things with your tax return preparer, your tax advisor team here at Singer Lewack. But you want to discuss those things early, you know, before the end of the year is ideal. So that way uh, you can make changes or modifications to what you're planning for your expenses. Um, but right. then even before you get into the tax return preparation, it's discussing these things with your tax advisors and they can help you figure out what information they need, what you need to send them, what should you be retaining and so forth. And and I think you really want to discuss things, I guess I like to say early and often, but maybe early and thoroughly is a better way to say it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the the big thing is for individuals, businesses, is to communicate, you know, and, and it's a two-way street. You know, I think that we as tax uh, experts, you know, need to stay in touch with our clients, but it's also important for uh, there to be just kind of a, a lot of communication both ways throughout the year and not just at uh, tax time. So, you know, with that being said, we have a lot of clients that are, you know, self-employed. Mike, do you have any suggestions, you know, for just the self-employed when it comes to managing their tax burden? Well, one thing that's significantly different when you're a freelancer or self-employed 
and you're no longer an employee getting paid your salary or your wages on a W-2, you you no longer have any withholding payments being taken out either for federal taxes or state taxes and being paid over, you know, sort of like an advanced payment towards your tax liability. So without that tax withholding, you're going to pay more out in tax out of your own funds, right, from your bank account than you may have been used to when you worked as an employee. So it's sort of planning ahead. Uh, Maybe you need to make estimated tax payments or quarterly tax payments. And, you know, your tax advisor can help you figure out how to make the correct amount of those estimated payments if you're talking to them throughout the year and managing the income and expenses and making sure that you know how much uh, you're estimated to have to pay in tax for the full year. So that way you don't get a really big surprise bill around April 15th or October 15th if you file for an extension. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, That's one of the worst conversations to have with a client is, uh, you know, around April 15th, letting them know that there's a significant amount of tax due. And, you know, a lot of those headaches can be eliminated just through, you know, estimated tax payments and the proper planning, as you mentioned. And again, just kind of staying in touch with with your tax advisor, your tax professional and, and tax professional staying in touch with the client as well. So, you know, That kind of leads me to my next question is, you know, is there anything, any type of tax break that is, that you notice that is overlooked kind of often? Usually when, you know, someone has not been working with sort of what we would call a tax professional or or a, a good tax advisor is they're just not aware of things like the research and development or AKA the R&D tax credit for something called cost segregation. (laughs) And these typically um, businesses can be eligible for an R&D credit based on their activities that they're already doing. They're doing some research work. They're doing some development either on, you know, a process or a product improvement. And as long as you meet the qualifications and the various tests for the R&D credit, you can qualify for it. And you, you wouldn't have to add any additional activities really to what you're doing. You either qualify for it or you don't. And if you do, you want to get, uh, you want to take advantage of getting the credit and reducing your, your tax liability. And cost segregation, on the other hand, is um, it's basically a way to get accelerated depreciation. Uh, and that means that you can get faster deductions Um, the items that you would have been able to depreciate or deduct in part over multiple years. And some have much longer periods, many years where you need to depreciate a piece each year. Some have only a few years, but cost segregation allows you to do a study and sort of identify the pieces for some real estate, for example, the different parts of the building and all the different components. You can have someone come in and do a study and see Can we accelerate the depreciation by segregating out some of those costs and getting some accelerated deductions for you? Those are good ones. Yeah. And, you know, as we we come into 2024 and we're, you know, filing returns for 2023, obviously, you know, the COVID pandemic had major impacts over the past few years uh, as far as tax filings are, are concerned. You know, even though we're we're removed from it still a little bit, you know, are there any 
impacts that are still ongoing or any special considerations that uh, we need to take into account this year, in your opinion? Yeah, you would hope that we wouldn't still be seeing some of the impacts or effects of the pandemic, which uh, is quickly approaching four years uh, ago now, which has gone really quickly. And I think, you know, I mostly deal in federal tax matters of the IRS, but I will say that it seems like what I've heard about the states, they seem to pretty much be on track uh, as right. far as I've heard. But they're a lot smaller. You know, each individual state only deals with its own taxpayers, whereas the IRS deals with every taxpayer nationwide. So, And the IRS, unfortunately, yes, is continuing to see a lot of delays. Uh, for one thing, they still haven't caught up on their backlog of correspondence that they had since mid-2020 when they shut down mm-hmm. their various processing centers across the U.S. And they, at that time, they said they had 25 million pieces of unopened mail when they reopened. So, you know, letters that we've sent in trying to resolve client issues, they're delayed extra long. If you have to file a paper return, if you can't e-file your return, or even if you're eligible to e-file, if, if for some reason it uh, the system rejects it and then you have to mail in a paper return, that's going to take longer than normal to get processed. And by normal, I mean pre-COVID pre-2020. That would be what we would call normal processing times. And hard to see when will it get back really on track to fully normal. I'm not sure. I think uh, the mail never stops arriving at the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) And so if they have to to manually correct something on your tax return, that will add a significant amount of time to the processing. So anything that needs to be done manually at the IRS, if it involves sending something in through the mail or some sort of manual work there by the IRS employees, it's just a very long queue that your stuff's going to get into, and it's hard to get it pushed ahead in priority. There's also significant delays in the employee retention credit base. So if you're not familiar with that, it was a credit that you could get for certain wages paid during times of a significant decline in your gross receipts due to COVID, or if you had a full or partial shutdown of your operations due to a government order back in 2020, 2021. Well, everyone has still been able to file for a refund on their Form 941 uh, employment tax returns for the claiming of the ERC or the employee retention credit. But the IRS put a hold on processing those. Um, you probably saw that, Ryan, back in about September, October of last year. I think they, right. they completely froze the processing. Right. And they haven't reopened it yet. Although I think the commissioner or one of the IRS officials just this week may have mentioned that they think it'll reopen around April or May. That would be to process the forms already in the queue. Okay. All right. So how fast are they going to process them? I would say really slowly. So if you have a claim that's that you filed and it hasn't been paid out yet, could be waiting quite a while to get that refund. So you may want to consider, you know, if it's a large enough amount, maybe you want to talk to your attorneys about getting some refund litigation filed in the United States District Court or something like that. Um, it's 
if you call the IRS and ask them what's the status of your refund claim or can you get it prioritized, they won't laugh at you while you're on the phone, but after they hang out, they'll probably be laughing. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds about right. I mean, you know, obviously the IRS is backlogged and you know, they're having trouble on their end kind of catching up with things, which is understandable considering yeah. the amount of mail that has come through and all the pandemic and, you know, of course in California, the weather delays and you right. know, everything else. But uh, you know, from a taxpayer standpoint, is there anything that you suggest from maybe a record keeping perspective could ensure a smooth tax filing process? Well, getting everything filed timely uh, and e-filed, you know, that will make it as smooth as it possibly can be. And so we want to make it smooth for you, smooth for your tax return preparer. You really want to, you know, throughout the entire year, you want to retain all your tax documents, you know. If you right. think it's related to your business income and or expenses, you should keep all that and keep it organized. Don't just throw them in a filing cabinet drawer or the proverbial shoebox and then hope that someone will organize it for you at the end of the year. You know, it's just you're not going to get to it. Uh, another real big one would be making sure you use separate bank accounts and credit cards for your business versus your personal expenses. Even if you are a sole proprietor or maybe you're a freelancer, you're doing some gig work in the gig economy um, and you're basically funding it through your personal funds, showing that you know something is a legitimate business expense, it's always a lot easier if it's paid out of a business bank account or if it's on a business credit card. And so once you're once you're out of that initial, I'm going to start this up and try this out and see if it's viable. Uh, you know, get segregated accounts, and you'll find that it makes your life a lot easier in figuring out at the end of the year what were my business expenses versus my personal expenses. Right. Yeah, definitely good advice to separate things when possible. Uh, well, I would say make it happen. You know, if you're definitely if you're running a business, do not intermingle personal and business funds. That can, can lead to some bad things down the down the road. So speaking of that. Yeah, you well, know, yeah before we go on to another one, I'd say it's it's bad enough in trying to like untangle the mess of which ones are business or personal. But what if you have set up a corporation, you know, and now you've commingled all of your business and your personal things? You don't mm -hmm. want to accidentally expose yourself to any liability personally that should have been covered with your corporate entity, you know, if someone decides that you haven't maintained sufficient separation of your business. You know, they want right. to pierce the corporate veil, or it's a term you don't want to hear your lawyer saying to you. Um, so definitely like keep that stuff separate and it might, it might be a little bit burdensome initially to get it set up, but you would sure be glad down the road that you did it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, you know, from a kind of a different topic, you know, I don't know if it was people being bored during the, the pandemic or whatever, but, you know, we started getting a lot of questions about investing and, and that sort of thing. And a lot of people, you know, they had a 401k or, or whatever through their workplace, but, you know, several people, we've had questions come up about investing, uh, you know, buying stock and all that other good stuff. And, you know, from for those people who are new to investing, you know, what are some tax implications that you think they should be aware of? Well, anybody that's investing in cryptocurrency or NFTs, those spaces are, you know, things are still being developed in those areas. 
So, so that's a little bit uncertain, you know, what the tax consequences are of those. Although if you, uh, if you sell cryptocurrency, you know, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, it's like selling any other investment, at least from the IRS perspective at this point. But, you know, if you're investing in stocks, mutual funds, sort of the, you know, normal run-of-the-mill investments that a lot of people are into, especially like you said, during COVID, people had a lot of free time to sit around at home <laughs> and research new things and listen to new podcasts and, and try out a bunch of different stuff. So one thing that's really important is you need to retain all your investment-related records and correspondence, I think, indefinitely. Um, sure. Because, because investments um, can last more than one year. So if you're here in early 2024 and you buy some shares of, of a stock, you may sell them this year, but you may not. You may hold them and sell them next year, or you may never sell them. You may hold them for 20 years. Uh, and if you're going to be able to accurately calculate your cost, the amount, your cost basis, the amount that you invested in the stock back in 2024, you know, you need to have your records uh, because your brokerage may retain that information. They're pretty good at it nowadays. Uh, but if right. you move your account from one brokerage to another, sometimes that cost basis information gets lost and you don't want to inadvertently have to pay gain on the full amount when you sell it in the future. If you'd have your, you know, your investment basis that you could reduce the gain by. And then you know, another reason to maintain all that stuff is the length of time you hold the investment matters for calculating your gain or loss. If it's held for less than one year, then it would be a short term capital gain or loss. And if it's held for more than a year, it's a long term capital gain or loss. And there's different uh, capital gain tax rates and different things apply to those short-term versus long-term. Um, right. And the last one is if you, let's say you were, uh, you thought maybe you'd be a day trader uh, during COVID <laughs> and you're buying and selling a lot of stocks and bonds and, and mutual funds and index funds every day, uh, trying to beat the market, probably want to familiarize yourself with the wash sale rules, which I haven't seen uh, in use very often. But if you're buying and selling the same securities, uh, within a short period of time, uh, that can have um, some impacts on the tax consequences of it. Right. Yeah. All good points. You know, and one of the questions we get is kind of kind of going, playing off the day traders and other things that we've discussed already. You know, everybody's always concerned about the potential of an audit, you know, and in your experience dealing with the IRS, you know, are there any red flags that uh, might trigger an audit? And, you know, with those red flags, are, are there some good ways for taxpayers to potentially avoid that? Avoid that? Sometimes your return gets selected for audit by the IRS and it's just, you know, purely random. So there's nothing you can do to avoid that. If the computer randomly selects you, it, it selects you and you're going to have to go through it. But yeah, there are some things that, you know, what you and I might call red flags. The IRS calls large, unusual or questionable items. And so any one of those things can trigger an audit. And that might mean large compared to you know, the national averages for whatever line item on your return we're talking about. Or maybe, you know, it's unusual for you compared to your prior two or three years returns if you have had no expenses in one category for the last three years, and all of a sudden you have, you know, six-figure expense in that line item, it might 
stand out as large or unusual. Uh, and there's some, you really you can't avoid these things necessarily because your business expenses are your business expenses and your income is your income. But if you can't avoid anything large or extraordinary, I would say pair your tax documentation as if your return is going to be audited. That way you won't have to go back, try to locate all your tax records or organize them or recreate things two years, three years down the road you know, if you get into a tax audit. But right. it's, it's difficult to completely avoid them because you only have so much control over uh, your business activities and where the income and expense flows through from. But the, you know, the IRS computer systems scan every tax return that's filed and they compare it to, you know, what the national averages are. You know, they com can compare it to your prior year activities. So I don't think there's any way to get your personal audit risk down to absolutely zero, even if uh, you just had a W-2 job and you maybe you're a sing file single return you're unmarried you have no children you take right. the standard deduction you don't have any itemized deductions you could still get one of those random audits it'd be pretty easy to get through it if you only had one single w2 for the year but right. you, your audit chances still wouldn't be zero so we essentially taxpayers need to hope for the best and plan for the worst exactly yep okay well we're getting kind of short on time i had one more question for you and I guess it kind of encapsulates everything we talked about. But generally speaking, you know, what advice do you have for small business owners, individuals uh, in terms of tax planning and compliance? Yeah, definitely discuss any potential transactions. I'm talking about like sale of your business or maybe you want to buy a business or maybe you even want to take on uh, new partners you want to sell part of your business, you know, take on some new shareholders or new investors. Talk about these things with your tax advisors early in the process. Include your tax advisors as part of the team. You know, they can help you minimize the tax effects or maybe explore other ways that you can set up the transaction to, you know, that's maybe a more tax advantage. Maybe it's, maybe it defers tax or or it's a tax-free reorganization. There are definitely ways that your tax advisory team can help you if you're discussing these things before and during the sale or the transaction closes, rather than letting them know afterwards, oh, hey, by the way, Ryan, I did this transaction. I, I sold my business. Yeah, we, we actually get a lot of those types of calls. So uh, I, I completely agree. It's always uh, much more advisable to do everything on the front end. You know, again, I think communication is key. A lot of issues can be avoided if, uh, you know, we just pick up the phone or send an email or whatever and just uh, let the other person know what's going on. And, you know, from the tax compliance and planning perspective, um, you know, we can eliminate a lot of headaches if uh, we know what's going on and, and uh, can provide that timely advice. You know, everybody can avoid um, the unwinding process that we sometimes encounter just because there hasn't been the proper communication. You absolutely must take care of your employment tax obligations and filings. You know, get those employment tax returns filed timely. Make sure you're making your payroll deposits on the schedule that you're required to make them on. And, and once you 
once you um, miss filing or a payment there, it's very hard to get caught up and back on track. So make sure you're staying compliant with all tax requirements, of course, but employment taxes, payroll taxes, those ones are particularly critical. I agree. Well, Mike, that's all I've got for you today. I really appreciate uh, the insights and very helpful, very informative. And, uh, you know, looking forward to another tax season. Yeah, that's right. An exciting and smooth tax filing season. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Balancing Act podcast with Singer Lewak. We would like to extend a special thanks to our guests, Mike Mondelli and Ryan Nance, for sharing their valuable expertise. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone you think can benefit from it. For more financial wisdom and updates for your business, please visit our website at singerlewak.com. We hope you continue to balance your finances and stay informed. Until next time. Yeah.